Well, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches his disciples, teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On the night of his arrest, Jesus himself prays that prayer to God the Father in in Gethsemane when he says, uh, not my will, but your will be done. While we're called to uh, pray for God's will to be done, is it actually possible for us to know God's will and to understand God's will? This question comes up in a whole bunch of uh, different real-life contexts. For instance, uh, in in what way uh, might a painful or a a really bewildering experience be a part of God's plan? You go through something and and it's just confusing and it doesn't make any sense. How could that possibly be a part of God's plan? Or another situation uh, where you're trying to make a decision about uh, a a major life experience. Does, Does God's will for my life include my accepting this particular job offer? Um, Does God have in mind a a particular place that he wants me to live or a particular person that he wants me to marry or a particular decision that he wants me to make? And and if God's will is that specific, how, how do I discern that it really is God speaking and not my own imagination that's at work. As I mentioned earlier, this week we were concluding this series on life hacks by turning our attention to a topic of profound importance for every one of us, and, and a topic um, in which the Bible shows an incredible amount of interest, and that is how do we know and do God's will. Now, one of the first steps to, to take in approaching any question and this is a perfect example, is defining terms. When we talk about how to know God's will, how to do God's will, what do we mean by God's will? The will of God, as it's described in Scripture, is actually used in a number of ways. It doesn't just mean one thing. Uh, it's used in, in a number of different ways, and each of those different ways actually calls for, uh, that it's used actually calls for a different response from us. So what I want to do is, is look at four of the ways in, in which the Bible uses the, the term will of God and how we are to um, respond to each one of them. The broadest way in which the Bible understands God's will is in terms of God's sovereign will or God's hidden will. Uh, theologian R.C. Sproul, who, who just died this past, uh, past year, great, great Reformed thinker, He says, by this, by sovereign will of God, by this theologians refer to the will of God by which he sovereignly ordains everything that comes to pass. It's about God being in charge. Because God is sovereign and his will can never be frustrated, we can be sure, Sproul writes, that nothing happens over which God is not in control. He at least must permit whatever happens happens to happen. Now, the thing that's interesting about God's sovereign will is that it's often hidden from us until it actually happens. It's only as we look back 
that we're able to see maybe how God was at work in our lives or how God was at work in a particular situation when we actually couldn't see it at the time. Uh, I also want to be really clear and really honest about this. There may also be experiences, I think there are, where in this world we may never understand what God's will was in a particular situation. It just remains confusing to us. So how are we supposed to respond to, to the sovereign will of God that, that we may understand or think we understand or may not understand at all? Well, write this down. I will trust. I will trust in the wisdom of God's hidden will. I'll trust in the wisdom of God's sovereign will. Um, really, when it comes to God's sovereign will, it, it calls for an attitude of, of humility and an attitude of acceptance. As, as we acknowledge sometimes uh, with great reluctance, the fact that God is God and that we're not, and that God's in charge and we're not. And that God's ways aren't our ways. That there may actually be some questions that we ask, the answer to which we are incapable of understanding. I mean, think of an, of an analogy. Some of you guys are, are parents or are now grandparents. And uh, you know how kids, uh, they're just really curious, and they go through this period of time where they're constantly asking questions. They just, you know, why, why? And you answer it, and they say, why again? And it just keeps going in, until finally you say, because I said so, I'm your mom, or what, you know, whatever. But, but why do they ask questions? Because they're curious. They, they want to know about stuff. But here's the problem uh, with, with children and their curiosity. It's not really a problem, but it's just a reality uh, they oftentimes ask questions, the answer to which they're not capable of understanding. They're not mature enough. You know, why is the sky blue? And you could go in a whole big thing about, you know, prisons and all this kind of stuff, and they're just going, you know, they won't get it. Where do babies come from? They're not going to get it. Does that mean that they shouldn't be asking the questions? No, it's great that they ask the questions. It's just they are not capable of, of getting the answer. And I think that's, that's true for, um, for us a lot of times when we're thinking about God's will and trying to, to sort that all out. God, why did this happen? And, you know, we just may not be capable of, of understanding because God's ways are not our ways. I think this is one of the, the main points of the book of, of Job. And it's interesting, in, in today's text that we're looking at, these four questions that, that are asked, can, can you fathom, seriously, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Are you that smart? Do you have that much experience? I don't. Uh, can, uh, can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They're deeper than the depths below. What can you know? You know what I can know? I can know about as much as, uh, as my experience allows me to know. Before I was born, I couldn't know anything about this world that, that we're living in. 
I didn't understand language. I didn't understand abstract thinking. I didn't know what a person was. I didn't even have enough experience to know who I was, that I was even a person. And it's only, you know, as we have experience and grow and grow and grow that we learn more and more and more. But it's kind of absurd to think that, that we can know the mind of God. God is God. We're not. Does that mean we can't know anything about the will of God? Good question. That question, can we know, leads to a second sense in which Scripture talks about the will of God. There's the sovereign will of God. If the sovereign will of God is hidden from us, what, if anything, can we know about the will of God and how can we know it? And the answer to that question, how can we know anything about the will of God, the answer to that question is, if he reveals it to us. If he reveals it to us. So while we may not understand exactly how an especially painful or bewildering experience fits into the perfect plan of God, we know, and we know this because God's revealed it to us, not because we imagine it or because we know it to be true, but because God has revealed it to us, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who are called or for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And we can be encouraged, and we can take comfort in that, even though we may not understand precisely how God is going to use some experience for good. Because that's part of God's sovereign and hidden will. So the question is this then, where do we discover God's revealed will to us? Where does God talk to us? Well, the clearest place, obviously, is in Scripture, in the Bible. Now, it's true, we can know some stuff about God through nature. The Apostle Paul makes that point in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. We can know some stuff about God through the voice of our conscience. Paul makes that point in Romans 2.15. But while we can know something of God through nature and through conscience, God's will for our lives is really laid out in, the most clearest, in its clearest way in Scripture. Now, let me give you two explicit examples of this. People say, what's God's will for my life? Paul actually writes in his first letter to the Thessalonians, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Look at that. It just says, it is God's will. We know that from the Bible. The same letter, Paul writes in in chapter 5, verse 16, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is what? God's will for you in Jesus Christ. We know that God wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be Christ-like. We know that God wants us to rejoice always and to pray continually and to give thanks no matter what we're going through. And how do we know that? Because the Bible just says, this is God's will for us. But you know what? 
even when it's not signaled with, with a explicit uh, formula for this is God's will for you, it's clear that the Bible just lays out God's will for our lives uh, in everything that it communicates. Let me give you a really easy example of this, the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, where, where God makes it clear, among other things, that he wants to protect us from worshiping gods of our own invention because they will disappoint us, because they can't be trusted, because they're just a projection of our, our wishes or the way we would want it to be. God says, don't worship those kind of gods. They're phony. God's will for us is that we remember the Sabbath and, and keep it holy through weekly worship and by taking a full day of rest from our work. God's will for us is that we honor our parents, even if they're imperfect. By the way, just so you'll know, everybody here has imperfect parents. Everybody here, if you are a parent, is an imperfect parent. And if you don't believe me, ask your children. They will tell you. God's will for us is that we not steal from one another. God's will for, uh, for us is that we treat marriage as something sacred. God's will for us is that we not murder people. More examples. Jesus is asked, what's the first and greatest commandment? And, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's God's will for us, that we love God with everything that we have, everything that we are. God's will for us is that we love our neighbors as ourselves. God's will for us is that we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God's will for us is that we forgive those who have sinned against us. It's God's will. And he tells us, Jesus tells us, God's will for us in the church is that we love one another, that we encourage one another, that we accept one another, that we serve one another, that we be kind to one another, that we pray for one another. It's out there. You don't have to guess at any of this stuff. It is God's will. And how do we know it's God's will? He's revealed it to us. So, just as we are to trust in the wisdom of God's sovereign will, whether we understand that sovereign will or not, we are also to walk in the way of God's revealed will. We know what it is. God just says, do it. Bless, you know, Jesus talks about the person is blessed who hears these words of mine and who actually does them. There is no guesswork when it comes to God's revealed will because God has clearly revealed it to us. Easy, right? Now, there is, though, um, an error, and it's kind of a serious error that we need to avoid in this. And it, it has to do with, uh, with how we, as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, appropriate uh, God's will as it's revealed in the Old Testament. It has to do with treating the, the Old Testament ceremonial and civic laws, those ritual laws like offering sacrifices and that sort of thing. Are those binding on Christian believers or not? 
And the answer is no. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we live under a new covenant. Uh, Those laws that we read about in the Hebrew Scriptures were given to the people of Israel to instruct them as to how they should live as a holy people set apart. All of the sacrifices, all of the festivals, and so on. We are no longer bound by that ritual law that God gave the people of Israel. This issue actually was addressed explicitly, and it was settled at the very first church council. It was recorded in the book of Acts chapter 15. It marks a real turning point in the plan of God where the church came to understand itself not as a subset or as a sect of Judaism, but as a worldwide missional movement that was going to include Gentiles. And what that meant was that Gentile believers wouldn't be subject to these Old Testament ceremonial and ritual laws, like circumcision, like eating kosher foods, like what they should wear, you know, whether you could, could wear a robe that was made of two different kinds of, of fabric, for instance. The, the, the only um, kind of stipulations that we find are things like if you're going to be fellowshipping with, you know, being, have a meal with your Jewish friends and stuff, of course you're going to respect that. But as for, for you... Uh, it's not binding. Now, that's the ritual law. That's the civic, that, those ceremonial laws. The moral law, on the other hand, would remain in place. The, the moral law that we read about in the Old Testament would remain in place because that is based on the character of God. So what does that mean? It means, guess what? It's okay to plant two different kinds of crops in a field. It's okay to wear clothes made of two different kinds of fabric. It's okay to go to Red Lobster. It is not okay to murder people. It is not okay to steal from one another. And that's why what the the psalmist says in Psalm 1, chapter 1, still holds true to us. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked. Stand in the way that that sinners take or stand in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the moral law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. So, Sovereign or hidden will of God and the revealed will of God. So we're to trust in the sovereign will of God, that God knows what he's doing, whether we understand it or not. We're to walk in the way of God's revealed law, And Jesus says, blessed are those who hear these words of mine and actually do them. But there's a a third uh, understanding in Scripture about God's will. And I would uh, characterize it as God's special will. And it's a little different than God's revealed will because as God reveals his will to us in Scripture, that applies to everybody. Everyone who's a follower of Christ is bound by what the New Testament says. But, but what about uh, those things in my life uh, that are unique to me and maybe God has a plan for my life? 
In addition to trusting in the wisdom of God's hidden will and walking in the way of God's revealed will, we are also told to be alert to the leading of God's special will. To be alert to the leading of God's special will. Because while the Bible addresses everything we all need to know, it may not speak to some things that you might like to know. Right? For instance, God, do you want me to take this job? God, um, should we have more kids? Lord, um, is this the home that you want us to buy? See, the thing about those kinds of questions is they're really super important to us, but there isn't any verse or passage in the Bible that actually tells you what to do, right? This is why it's hard to figure out. Um, Now, let me just say sometimes we uh, mess around with the Bible in a way uh, that, um, you know, we hope that maybe it will give us some guidance to this. And I will just share a personal experience from my own life about which I'm not proud, but it happened when I was uh, early in my walk as a Christian. When I was trying to figure out where I was going to go to seminary, and I kind of narrowed it down to two places. I had, had been accepted to, to both of them, um, and, and I was considering uh, Princeton Seminary, which is where Pastor Cynthia went, and Yale, which is... Um, a place that would have been, you know, really great if if I wanted to go into pastoral ministry or teaching. So I couldn't figure out exactly what to do. And, uh, you know, it was sort of like even in the scales. And Peg and I were talking about it together, and sometimes I'd feel this way and she'd feel that way, and then we'd switch and go back and forth. So we decided to do the old, just for fun, to do the old Bible flip and dip method. Have you ever done this? <laughs> It's where you flip the Bible open and you go, bam, like that. Put your finger down on a verse and then you read it, see what it says. It's kind of, it's really just a step below the magic eight ball, frankly. But <laughs> by the way, just for fun, we did this. It went, bam, put the finger down. And, it's, and it talked about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And we go, oh, this is clearly a sign. Princeton, Prince of Peace, right? <laughs> but then we decided... Well, you know, maybe we should check this out and, and see if there's any confirmation here. So we flipped through again, and bam, like that. And it said, uh, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. And a new heaven. That's New Haven. That's where Yale is. That's where I'm going to go. <laughs> anyway, ended up going to Yale, mostly uh, in, in large part because at that time, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go into pastoral ministry or teaching. And because I had just this beloved uh, teacher uh, from college, professor from college who had gone there, so many people that I admired had gone there, I, I really had no regrets. It was a great, great experience. But I would not recommend that as a method of, of seeking God's, God's will. So what do you do if you don't flip and dip? Um, well, the, the, most, uh, the first and the most important thing And here's this moment in the message where I pause and say, if you don't get anything else out of today's message, this is what you want to listen to. God's special will for your life will never, ever contradict God's 
revealed will found in Scripture. That's really important. Super important. Because, you know, sometimes people will sort of rationalize uh, making what, uh, what other people can see as clearly um, uh, unhealthy choices um, by saying, I just feel like God wants me to do this. When it is just laid out in Scripture, no, God doesn't want you to do that. It says in Scripture you don't want to do that. Let me give you an example of this. You've been offered this really great paying job. But you would be working at a place where employees are expected to misrepresent products or be dishonest with their customers or act unethically in any way toward other people. You don't need a sign from God whether to accept that job or not. Because to accept it would be to violate absolutely everything that God calls us to do. God has already explicitly addressed that through his revealed will. God doesn't want you to work for the mob. Don't consider it. Now, when we seek God's special will for our lives, we need to understand that, uh, that God really isn't any, uh, under any particular obligation to reveal his special will to us, especially if we are knowingly and willfully ignoring his revealed will. Sometimes, you know, we... we we say, gosh, you know, I'm praying to God and I'm just not finding any answers here. And the reason why we may not be finding answers is because God is under no obligation to answer our prayers if he's revealed his will to us and we're blowing him off. Now, that, that being said, assuming that, you know, we really are walking in the ways of God's revealed will, as we looked at in the last point, what are some of the ways uh, that God helps us to know his special will? Because there will be times when, yeah, maybe God does weigh in on a decision that we're trying to make. And how do we know when God's weighing in? How do we know when God has, um, has a, a plan for us? How do we unpack that? Well, here are five, uh, I'll call them life hacks, that, that really help us to discern God's special will. Now, first and foremost, there's Scripture. There's Scripture. While there may not be a specific verse that we can turn to in the Bible that addresses our immediate experience and tells us what to do, there might be similar situations that Scripture is talking about, and we can glean some insight from reading this. Now, let me give you an example of this. I was talking to somebody last night after yesterday's message, and he came up to me and he says, you know, I coach on a sports team here in town, and, uh, and this particular team was getting uh, really small, almost to the point where um, the school was thinking about discontinuing this team. And in my Bible reading, this week I've been reading the book of Nehemiah. And as I was reading the book of, of Nehemiah, it's all about how God chose Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. 
And he said, as I read that, I realized that's what God wants me to do with this team. Rebuild it. It's, it's been, you know, it's down to this point where, um, you know, it could go either way. I think God's calling me to do that. And, and he, he really got fired up about it, saying, yeah, God's calling me to take something and, and build it. Scripture can teach us, even if it doesn't have an explicit uh, verse. Second, there's your conscience. There's your conscience. Now, while, while your conscience isn't always as reliable as Scripture, sometimes we treat it as more reliable. It's not. Well, not always as reliable as Scripture, as long as we remember that the voice of conscience isn't about how you feel. It's about what you know. As long as we remember that, you know, our spidey sense, right and wrong, can sometimes be a really helpful guide in terms of discerning what God wants us to do. Third, there is common sense. And it's surprising how little people talk about common sense in church, but I do think common sense has a role to play here. And let me just say it as simply as I can. God never calls us to do stuff that is patently stupid. Pro tip. God will sometimes ask us to do things that to the world may seem foolish, for sure. But God will never call us to do something that is just stupid. Fourth, God speaks to us in our circumstances. There's a beautiful example of this, perfect example of this in Acts chapter 16. Uh, the Apostle Paul is, uh, is on one of his missionary journeys, taking the gospel out to the wider world beyond Jerusalem and, and Samaria. And he's traveling with a, a group of, uh, of other uh, companions. And Paul and his companions have their idea of where they should go to preach the gospel. They've got this kind of strategy mapped out, and, and, and they really feel like, okay, this is what we, we want to do. But, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, has this totally different idea for them. And in Acts 16, uh, Luke, the author of the, gospel, of, of the book of Acts, uh, Luke describes how God closes the door on their dream to take the gospel to the province of Asia because God's will is that they carry the gospel to Europe where it's going to take root and in God's perfect timing it will totally transform the entire world. And how does God reveal that that's his will? Circumstances. God closes the door. So has God ever closed the door to you? You know, maybe you're thinking about God, what's your, your will here? Should we, you know, make an offer on this house or this one? And God says, uh, can't make an offer on that one because somebody else did it. Or a job. God, as God opens and closes doors, he, he guides us in his wisdom. And then fifth and finally, and you never want to underestimate this, it's one of the reasons why we value community life so highly here at Stonebridge. Fifth and finally, there's the prayerful advice and counsel 
of spiritually mature, emotionally healthy, good, and godly friends. And by the way, note, not just any friends. Spiritually mature, emotionally healthy, good, and godly friends. Um, my friend that I was talking to yesterday about um, the sports team and rebuilding it and everything, he said, as you went through that list, I just went check, 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 check. They all lined up. And that's how I know what God wants me to do in this situation. I'm going to rebuild. Now, I want to close with um, one last but um, not so obvious point. And it's about a fourth uh, way in which Scripture talks about the will of God. There are going to be times in our lives when we're trying to kind of sort through God's will, trying to discern God's will, and we're going to imagine that God's will is this one thing that God really wants us to do. But I want you to think about this. You might be a parent. Um, you might um, be a grandparent. You might know a parent um, who's... Uh, son or daughter is trying to make a huge decision. Um, and it, it might be about um, what college they're going to attend. Or it might be about uh, what trade that they want to get into. It could be about any number of things. And as you think about yourself in that situation... I want, want you to just ask the question, what is your will for your child in that situation when they're trying to make that decision? Just think about it for a second. What do you want for them as a mom or dad who loves them? What is your will? Now, if you're like me, what you want for them, frankly, is that they do whatever will bring them joy and that will be a blessing to them and that will be a blessing to other people. Won't hurt them. Won't hurt anybody else. It'll be part of you know, God's greater will for them. But what you want for them is whatever they want that brings them joy. It could be any number of things. And, and frankly, it could change over time. You know, when your kids are one age, they might want to, you know, a child is, is a certain age, they might want to do one thing. They might accept a job uh, as young adults. They might change it later on in life. But while those things can change, you know what doesn't change? Your love for them. That's steadfast. What doesn't change is your desire that they find blessing and that they be a blessing to other people. Now that feeling, that desire that you might have as a parent is a lot like what I would call God's permission-giving will. 
And what do I mean by that? Um, going back to Scripture, the story of, of uh, Adam and Eve, just as, as God told Adam, feel free to eat of any fruit, of any of the trees of the garden, whatever you want, just not this one. And the reason not this one is because this one will hurt you. It will bring sin and death into the world. Don't do that. Anything else you can have. See how God's giving Adam this incredible amount of freedom and permission. Some people read that story and say, why'd God do that? Why are we focused? Why are we so negative and focused on the thou shalt not when there's this enormous... God's put him in paradise and said, you can do anything except the one thing that will hurt you. That... Just, just as God told Adam to feel free to eat of any fruit of any tree of the garden, God's will for you, listen to this, God's will for you takes into account what brings you joy. Think about that. You know, God's will for you is for you to live in freedom with joy, being a blessing, being blessed, making whatever choices you want to make just as long as they don't hurt you or hurt somebody else or dishonor the name of God. That's God's permission-giving will. And what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? We give thanks. Give thanks for God's permission-giving will. Our Lord loves us so much. Listen to this. Our Lord loves us so much that his will for us most of the time is anything you would like. So long as it brings joy and real and lasting blessing to you and to others. So long as it doesn't waste your potential so long as you can receive the gift of, of God and be a gift of God to, to others. So there are four ways, at least, that the Bible talks about God's will, God's sovereign will, God's revealed will, God's special will for you, God's permission-giving will. And how do we respond? Let's, let's trust in the wisdom of God's sovereign will. You know, God knows what he's doing, whether we get it or not. Let's walk in the way of God's revealed will. He's revealed it to us for a reason. It's the owner's manual for life. It's Life works best when we know and do God's will. Be alert to the, the leading of God's special will because there will be times when, you know, God is, is encouraging us to go a certain way because he knows the blessing lies that way. But most of all, give thanks for God's permission-giving will. Um, for God's permission giving well, like Cat Stevens says. If you want to sing out, sing out. If you want to be free, be free. There's a million ways to be. You know that there are.